Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. And I'm Freddie. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the Trades Union Congress's annual conference and Angela Rayner's big promises on a new deal for workers. Has the new shadow levelling up secretary overpromised, and could this backfire? Hello, I'm Anusha Kellyan, Britain editor of The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have Rachel Wearmouth, deputy political editor, and Freddie Haywood, political correspondent. Um, it's good to be back in the studio. I've been away for a couple of weeks. Welcome I back, think, Anish. Yeah, I think one of our listeners said that I must be sunning myself in Marbella. I was actually in <laughs> Armenia and Georgia, so <laughs> I was I was in the former Soviet bloc. I was not on a beach in Marbella, but it was very nice, and I do recommend it. Um, Rachel, you're back too. You've been uh, away as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I'm still recovering from the Great North Run on Sunday. So um, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's the right word for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you started your recovery by going to the TUC conference. Yeah, baptism of fire. Yeah. <laughs> And you wrote a really good piece on Angela Rayner's speech there. Can you tell us a bit about what you learned? Yeah, I mean, well, ov- overall, this sort of gathering, the TUC is like the umbrella body for uh, various trade trades unions. And um, it was kind of a very disciplined affair. You know, you, I think the sort of atmosphere for overall was that um, the trade union movement very much wants a Labour government and is not going to be problematic for yeah. the current regime. Um, but the sort of the interesting moment, the big kind of set piece political event was um, a speech from Angela Rayner, the, the deputy leader. Um, and this is after um, she kept responsibility for the New Deal for Workers in um, Starmer's reshuffle earlier this year. Big boost for her individ- as an individual politician in that she she's kind of like the trade union movement's favourite daughter now you know she's um <laughs> she was new- introduced as one of us wasn't yes she? she was introduced yeah. introduced as one of us and she kind of um, sort of did a lot, a lot of Gordon Brown, Tony Blair wind list of all the things that she was offering the trade union yeah. movement. Um, and yeah, I mean, the sort of timing of what she's offering is is interesting. So, you know, first hundred days, a Labour government will bring forward a, an employment rights bill. And um, it, there's a, there are a few things that may be, may be missing from that, but that that's kind of been ironed out and is in line with what trade unions were expecting now. Okay. Um, but I think just the treatment of the deputy leader during the the entire conference was, you, you're one of us, um, and if and if it goes wrong, 
um, we'll make it a problem for you or we'll make it a problem for, for the for the leader. So they're wow. kind of putting putting her... That was the vibe. So that, a little bit tense. Yeah, that's, she's, yeah, she's very much being being put up on their shoulders and that's kind of could be a could be a problem, but also a massive boost for her politically and whatever her future may, ambitions may be. Mm. Well, it's interesting because if they're sort of clinging on to Rayner as their hope to deliver the things that they want, that's very representative of this new deal for workers. This mm. is the thing that, you know, when you speak to people perhaps on the union side or on the leftier side of Labour will say, well, we've still got this. And actually in August, during the National Policy Forum, there were reports that these policies that they were saying they were committing to were actually going to be watered down. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there is a bit of tension over this policy prospectus, even though it's the one that people, you know, think it's is so, the, the radical remaining kernel of what it, Labour are offering. When, when you think about many of the other things that trade union wants, they all in, the trade, trade unions, they, want, want, they all involve spending. Yeah. Um, and as we know, Rachel Wave's not going to do any of that. So... Um, that they're getting new rights, various different areas, you know, a ban on zero hours contracts, though I'm not sure how that's going to work considering how many people at Labour councils are, are employed <laughs> on zero hours contracts, for example. Um, yes, yeah, so they've got a, a rollout of rights, which is the quid pro quo for um, being more accepting of the manifesto and of the National Policy Forum document. Yeah, OK. And for any of our listeners who have missed this, this was a perspectives of new workers' rights that was actually set out in 2021. Yeah. It's kind of been re-announced and re-announced. Sometimes it's been kept quiet for a bit. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. yeah, brought back to the fore. So this is... Um, Banning zero-hours contracts, as you mentioned, Rachel. Outlawing bogus self-employment. Basic rights from day one, so like flexible working as a day one right. Sectoral fair pay agreements mm -hmm. starting with social care. But actually, some of the suggestions over the summer was that some of these would actually be consulted on beforehand rather than introduced in those first 100 days. And there was also a suggestion that probationary periods would be protected rather than introducing some of these rights from day one, as was promised. Yeah, the... The Labour Party have basically said that once they get in, it is a priority, but they want to have this review, this consultation. In part, that's a reflection of the fact that they want to keep business on side. They don't want to go into uh, office with a big string of policies that business aren't aware of. OK, I don't think that's necessarily going to dilute the policy entirely. It's not uncommon to have reviews. Uh, you could say it's a bit of a stop to business, which it is in many ways. But as you said, it's still one of the more radical aspects of Labour policy at the moment. I think once you get into the details of it, there are some questions over, for instance, will they have the money to um, institute the sectoral pay deals? The one that they've said uh, they're going to start with is on social care. Social care is broadly paid for via local governments. So is the Labour central government going to give uh, local governments more money to actually give them a, give the people in social care a pay rise? Um, Angela Rayner was asked about this on Tuesday on Sky News and she basically said that, um, well, it actually makes more sense for us to give people a pay rise because it will help with worker retention, it will ease the burden on the NHS. Uh, so it was very much the rhetoric, uh, invest to save in the long term. That's not something you're necessarily <laughs> hearing from Rachel Reeves's office at the moment. So I think there's a there's an incompatibility there. Um, Angela Rayner is definitely right on that. I mean, it's something we've spoken about before often is the false economy mm -hmm. of austerity. Uh, and you're seeing that in the, uh, the rack scandal at the moment. So there are some debates over spending and how much money they have. But many of the changes that they want to bring about are free. After the break, we'll talk about how important the union relationship with Labour really is. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on the New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. 
Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Rachel, I was, your piece was great and I wanted to ask about uh, how important that trade union support is going in. To, oh, uh, into um, office. Well, it's important in that a lot of um, people who will do the door knocking, the activists, yeah. will, will be, you know, trade union members also. Um, but there's a political calculation within those at the top of unions and how they interact with individual politicians. It can make life really difficult when it comes mm. to conference or the big set pieces that, uh, you know, the party so yeah quite quite important and just quite important culturally yeah. for, for mm-hmm. the party but I think some of the some of the things that are most important to them that are not talked about um, enough perhaps are things like access to the workplace for unions mm. you know that helps helps unions be able to recruit helps them to survive in the in the longer term so which lots of other countries have uh, Australia, yeah, yeah, yeah. New yeah, yeah. Zealand yeah I think it's interesting the narrative over the summer what you were saying Anoush because there were some donation figures released um, and it basically showed that private donors have started giving Labour a lot more money. And the narrative then was that uh, it insulates Labour from the influence of the trade unions because they can rely on private individuals. I'm not sure that's necessarily true. As you say, you know, trade unions are central to the to the party that are on the NEC. I, I remember there was a great anecdote from John McTurnan, who was Tony Blair's political secretary, about uh, when New Labour were looking at whether they could introduce Sunday trading hours. And John McTurnan, you know, Tony Blair, massive majority, never really got on with the unions. John McTurnan, who, who is his person in number 10, who communicates with the unions, goes and speaks to the general secretary of Ustor, who says, no, you can't do that. John McTurnan goes into Tony Blair's office in number 10 and they both go, right, well, we can't do that then. <laughs> so there is a, a lot of influence that still yeah, uh, I mean, re- I mean, remains that even if they have a big majority. Yeah, I mean, they represent their workers ultimately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So re- they represent, you know, parts of the parts of the economy, part of um, um, And they the back country. individual candidates as well. Yeah, they so back individual candidates. are campaigning in seats that are vital to win and you do need Yeah, that they play a huge role in selections. So, you know, yeah. unions will want certain people that they want in certain yeah. seats or what have you. But... Um, yeah, I think this interesting word that you use there is that the Labour is currently relying on on some private donations, mm. but the the deals that they've got with unions are kind of like subs and will arrive no matter yeah. what because of their affiliation. So yeah. it's a it's a kind of like a long term funding. Yeah, and I'd like to ask actually, Rachel, how important is Angela Rayner's and Keir Starmer's relationship to the likelihood that these um, these commitments will be stuck to if Labour get into office? I think it's 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 kind of difficult to say. I think so. It's like I think the the timing's important. You know, I heard hundred days like so many times there. They want you know they want yeah. these things to happen yeah. fast, but. Um, you know, I think at the same time, there's there's a there's a, a, a level of realism um, that some of the things that they they want are quite will be quite difficult to introduce. Mm. Banning zero hours contracts being one of them, yeah. mm. sectoral bargaining being you know another very difficult area, not just because of the economics, but because of 
how the economy is currently organised. Like, um, and of course, um, Raina was delivering this speech in her new role mm-hmm. in Shadow Cabinet. She's now Shadow Leveling Up Secretary. How much does that affect, you know, the things that she's publicly talking about now and her and her standing in the Shadow Cabinet as well? Yeah, so she replaced Lisa Nandy in that role and this was the first uh, public appearance that she's made since the, the reshuffle. It was interesting. She did mention levelling up quite a few times within the speech, which made me think... Are Labour now going to conflate levelling up with employment uh, market reforms? Because if they are, then their definition or conception of levelling up is just growing by the day. Um, <laughs> they've, I think they basically started including the Green Prosperity Plan, devolution. If it's now um, labour market reforms as well, it's basically everything and therefore nothing. So I think that wasn't necessarily a good sign for, for levelling up. It isn't what... Boris Johnson, or not Boris Johnson, obviously, but people around Boris Johnson meant when they started started talking about levelling up. Levelling up was about redressing regional inequalities. Uh, Labour market reforms are really important uh, and a way of redressing the economy, but they're not necessarily regional-based um, reforms. So I thought that was an interesting part. But then also she's got this, this broad role as uh, Shadow Levelling Up Secretary. The big question for me is, is that a vote of confidence in the concept of levelling up? Um, will Keir Starmer retain the department or will it just revert back to what it is? Because remember, the the levelling up department is just the housing, communities, local government department. It's had 100 names um, over time, but they could just drop the whole phrase and she would still have that sort of, that base of policies that she's responsible for. So there's lots of questions. I mean, it is just a name, but it's also a a big policy agenda which represents uh, a big shift in politics in the past five years, uh, epitomised by Brexit in 2019, that said actually people are a bit sick with the economy being so focused in London and the southeast. So people just dismiss it as a slogan. I, I do think it's it does capture a very important policy agenda. Will Labour carry that through? I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting if they are trying to tie it into these employment rights or yeah. uh, worker sort of regulation regulation changes because it ties into something that we've spoken about before, which is what can Labour introduce that's free? Yeah, And obviously, aside from, you know, paying public sector workers more in these um, sectorial bargaining mm-hmm. agreements, um, some of this stuff is sort of technically free, though. It will have an impact on businesses and that has, you know, um, implications for tax revenue and things. But it is regulatory change. And so it's Trans, sounds like transformative policy that, that, that doesn't have a huge price tag attached to it. So in a way, maybe it's quite useful for them to redefine levelling up through some of these things like devolution and workers' rights that don't necessarily require huge funding commitments. But like you say, yeah. it takes it away from that original definition. And I think the one that Lisa Nandy, the previous person in that position, was a bit more attached to. I think her and Michael Gove had a bit of a they had a bit of a rapport on levelling up, didn't they? They were kind of trying to one-up each other, but using the same definition. I mean, they even had the same advisor, Andy yeah. Haldane. Yeah, I mean, it might be good for <laughs> it might be good for uh, Labour. It's not very good for levelling up. Yes. The big yeah, question is, I think at the moment is, is Labour going to follow through on Northern Powerhouse Rail? Is it going to go through Bradford? Are they going to uh, stick with HS2 as well? That's something that reports of the weekend have suggested the government are considering dropping. There are big infrastructure projects that are much better uh, definitions of levelling up than um, labour market reforms. Yeah, and we were talking to someone sort of who's on the inside who's seen a bit of this the other day who was saying that they thought that levelling up was dead in the water, weren't they? I have no idea who you're talking <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that she sort of made some new links when talking about it. Yeah, she was sort of good unionised jobs, creating your levelling yeah. up was yeah. equivalent to creating good unionised jobs. Um, 
yeah, and I think she told a little bit about her own story. She kind of wants to use the role to kind of be the face of social mobility for the Labour Party. Um, I think it's, I think having housing is the big prize for, yeah. um, for Angela yeah, Rayner for politically. Sure. She um, grew up in a council house. She is now shadow housing. Yeah, secretary. and she yeah. Um, made a very important distinction that, Yes, that includes council housing. Yes. You know, she, 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 exactly. she was very, it wasn't very, clear before, I don't think. She was very specific about that. So um, it wasn't just purely an aspiration, we'll help you yeah. to buy your own home. It was, you know, she put social housing right at the, the centre of it there, which I thought were two interesting distinctions and a bit departure from her predecessor, even though she's the yeah. two are very close politically. Yeah, and we yeah. know that planning reform is going to be central to what they do in the first year or so of government. If mm-hmm. Angela Rayner can take the lead on that and take the credit for it, mm-hmm. uh, then that would be great for her positioning within the party. It was noticeable watching the speech. I thought that she has a lot of authority now in a way that other shadow um, cabinet members don't necessarily have, in part because she's got this base within the party because she's deputy leader. But I also thought at the TUC... Uh, based within the trade union movement was something I'm sure lots of Shadow Cabinet members were envious of. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. Or if you're watching on YouTube, just leave a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues Rachel Wearmouth and Freddie Haywood. We'll be back tomorrow to answer your questions in our next episode, You Ask Us. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. There is this big space of ungoverned disorder where nothing is being done and we're just kind of holding up our hands and going, well, don't know what we could do. I'm Jason Pack. And I'm Alex Hall Hall. And we're the hosts of Disorder, a brand new podcast from Goalhanger, where we'll be connecting the dots using our own experiences, as well as talking to people at the forefront of global affairs. All seeking to work out, why are the world powers no longer coordinating as they once did? The trouble is the United States, but also some European societies, are so divided. How did we get here? The modern version of the culture war in which The fight that matters is not the real one. It's about winning certain kinds of arguments online. What can we do to fix it? How do you repair disorder? It's by becoming a community. Search disorder wherever you get your podcasts.